Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, a show where we talk all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform of course you choose to follow us on. And guys, it's been a little bit of a mini break, of course we are used to seeing races come thick and fast, so many developments going on in the championship but it now brings us towards the Turkish Grand Prix, the scene of course last season where we saw Lewis Hamilton crowned a seven-time Formula One world champion. Will it be eight times for Lewis? It's certainly not going to happen at Turkey but This Grand Prix weekend could be a huge indicator as to where this championship could end up going. And of course, discussing all of the latest news and gossip and events with me, as always, my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine. Of course, this weekend, just gone celebrating his birthday. So, Courtney, happy birthday to you. And uh, did you enjoy it? Did you have a nice weekend? Yeah, I had a great time. had a nice surprise uh, birthday party. Um, So, yeah, I had a good weekend and uh, ready for the F1. So, good times. Lovely. And of course, joining us once again, a regular on the DNF1 podcast is Lee Wallington. Lee, thanks again for joining us. Uh, how are you doing? How you been? Well, thank you as always for having me, but I'm good. Thank you. I'm glad to get uh, talking about F1 again. <laughs> Just remember to uh, press the uh, unmute button there as he started for those of you watching, but uh looks like Lee's with us now. So that's all good. All sounding well. And uh, yeah, no, absolutely right. Um, You know, we're we're moving into this race and there's so many things that we can be talking about, but I think it's a good idea to step aside a little bit away from the Turkish Grand Prix for the moment. Of course, we will get to that in due course, but there's been a lot of of goings on. Uh, Fortunately, nothing to do with transfer rumours. As far as I'm aware, Alfa Romeo literally could announce their driver lineup at any time now, but I think we're all expecting that decision to be made in the next couple of weeks. But there have been some news and updates on the calendar. And of course, we've had a lot of races go out because of COVID and come in. The Turkish Grand Prix, of course, was in, then it was out, and then it was back in again, owing to its situation with the UK on their COVID red list. Now, of course, we're having that race go ahead. But one race that has been announced 
to join us on the 2021 calendar, that is, for this season only, is uh, the Qatar race at La Salle Circuit. Now, guys, I had a look at the a few of the onboard laps on YouTube. I know people were playing uh, an Assetto Corsa. You know, you could drive around that. It's traditionally a MotoGP circuit. So, like most MotoGP circuits, they're not really designed for Formula 1 racing. And I think this one... We'll have to wait and see how it goes, but what are your initial thoughts on this? Are you looking forward to F1 going to Qatar? And uh, do you think that the race at La Salle Circuit is going to suit F1 well? Or do you feel like it's going to be another track that might be difficult to pass, like we've seen at other races, like Mugello, for example, or Portimao? Um, Courtney, what do you think? Um, I'm a bit indifferent about it, to be honest. I mean, on one side, it's good to uh, have us have another race. No, I can't complain. And with uh, the exciting championship battle we're having, you know, just have another sort of page to a great story this season. Can't complain about that, but it's just it's just another Middle Eastern track, isn't it? You know, it's just sort of the same background story to it. You know, we've got we've got Saudi Arabia and now we've got Qatar. So it's just it's not one of those sort of unique old style European circuit, you know, which fans love. It's just another it's just another circuit by a rich nation. You know, I, I do like a night race. I can't lie. But, yes, it's just, it's just another race, really. There's nothing, anything particularly special about it, is there? Yeah, I can understand that because the fans have been weighing in on what circuits they wanted F1 to try and explore and go to uh, to fill a slot towards the end of the season. I mean, this was the slot, of course, that was vacated by the Australian race, which, of course, sadly, we're not able to go ahead. And, of course, the Japanese Grand Prix, we've lost that as well this season. And um, to me, you're absolutely right, Corny. I don't think that this Qatar race offers anything unique compared to the other Middle East races. If anything, it's quite similar in some uh, ways to the Bahrain circuit. I think a lot of people were looking at pictures online, specifically the start finish straight, and they thought it's literally Bahrain 2.0. They had to sort of rub their eyes together to make sure they weren't looking at the same picture. Um, Lee, similar to Corny, what, what are your thoughts on this race? Are you looking forward to seeing F1 racing here? And uh, do you think it's a good idea to come to this circuit at this time of the year? Well, uh, firstly, I would say my thoughts was that it, it's just like Bahrain. So you already, <laughs> you already touched that. So I'll expand on that. But yeah, it's obviously the time of the year is for that circuit. Is You can't really do a European race because of a temperature drop. Um, so it has to look at the warmer climates and we don't have many races in the, the warmer climates outside of Mexico, Brazil, Australia, Japan um, China can be pretty cold where the, the, the circuit is obviously um, and obviously I've probably forgotten one I know obviously the Middle East circuits <laughs> there's a staring gap there so they would have to put something in, warm, in a warm, warmer climate and obviously Money talks a lot in Formula One, so Qatar offered a substantial amount, and Formula One, yes, please, we'll go there. Yeah, um, but nothing exciting. There's no grand feature or like special corner or um, anything that makes it oh, look, we're exciting for it. It's yeah, it, it, as Courtney said, it's just another race. Yeah, it seems very much that way that money is potentially a good motivator for F1, at least longer term, and we'll get into that in just a moment. Um, I mean, are there any circuits in particular that you would have liked F1 to con- perhaps consider exploring as an option just to fill this gap? I mean, there's one in my mind I think a lot of people 
were sort of asking for to see back on the calendar for this season to fill that gap. But um, before I spoil it, I'm curious to ask you both, which one in particular would you like to have seen F1 go to? I think if you're going to stick to the Middle East, then might as well just change the layout and Bahrain and dance here again. Because that offered, you know, one of the races of, okay, yeah, 2020 wasn't the most interesting of the seasons, given how Lewis dominated. But Sakir offered one of the, like, the most entertaining races of the season. So I think if you're going to stay in the Middle East, why not do, do a, a layout change like we saw in Sakir? Yeah, I mean, that's a good option. Um, I mean, of course, it wasn't back-to-back like it was um, before, and it worked relatively well. Um, Lee, what do you reckon? Are there any, any other circuits that you would have liked to have seen put, considered for that uh, particular slot? Um, personally, I, I reckon the... I know Formula One is obviously got the Miami Grand Prix coming up. I think it's next year that joins the calendar. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, but I would have, if I was Formula One, would have been looking to get another second circuit in the US. Um, admittedly, Indianapolis probably have been a bit too far north. But it, get a race in California on uh, this few circuits they've got there. It may not be a um, Formula One grade, but I'm sure they can, they can push the paperwork through. Um, yeah, I think that would have been a, something a different atmosphere than another Middle East carbon copy. Yeah, I mean, they were looking for a potential double header for a while at the Circuit of Americas, which of course never come to fruition. Um, it, you know, the COVID situation in America, I, I, I wouldn't exactly say I was too familiar with it at the moment, um, compared to how it was about six months ago when everyone was talking about it, you know, amongst other places too. But um, it it's one of those where, yeah, it probably made sense to perhaps considering that. I think given the traction around the announcement of the Miami race for next season, perhaps that kind of deter them away from considering another race in America because obviously you don't want to steal the thunder and, you know, you want to keep it all in one area. You don't want the teams to be moving around too much. So as much as I would have liked an option like that, I think feasibility-wise, it probably would have gone against that. I, for one, would have liked uh, them to return to Sepang in Malaysia. I think that's a circuit that, you know, yeah, I I think that's a circuit that a lot of people probably thought that they should go there. And I'll be honest with you guys, I I know in in years that we had the Malaysian Grand Prix and it was a circuit that a lot of people probably looked at a bit more negatively than they should have done for different reasons. Um, I think it very much was a circuit by nature that was very much victim to the turbo hybrid era regulations where the cars were just so hard to follow. Uh, and it made overtaking quite difficult at times, so the race is almost a bit of a procession. But I think since it's gone, and since it's no longer on the F1 Canada, I think a lot of people kind of miss it, um, and they probably feel, you know what, well, perhaps we shouldn't give it more credit where credit's due. And I think it would have been a nice way to bring it back in, and, you know, it, it could be a circuit for F1 in the future. I know F1 are trying to engage with the fans more and try to listen to what the fans want and try to produce that, but incorporating what the fans want and incorporating what's best for F1 as a business seem to be two different things at the moment. I think we're going to get into that with some other topics as well to kind of uh, prove that point, if you like, or, you know, weigh in a bit more on it. But um, it'd be interesting, you know, for you guys listening, uh, let us know what you think in the comments section. Are you looking forward to coming to the Lasali circuit in Qatar? And uh, were there other circuits that you would have preferred to have filled that slot for the uh, end of the season, just before the Saudi Arabian GP, I believe. Now, of course, with that, we should extend this uh, discussion a little bit further with Qatar. Um, 
given the announcement that they've made that not only are they going to have a race for 2021, they're also going to be having a race for many, many years to come after F1 signed a 10-year deal to have a race in Qatar from 2023. Now, that's a huge commitment from Formula One to a circuit that they've never raced at before. And the chances are it probably won't be at La Salle circuit. So we'll probably have another new circuit, maybe in Doha, perhaps another street circuit, for example, as exciting as that sounds. Um, you know, we haven't even been to Jeddah yet, so we've got to give it a chance. But um, it, it does seem that F1 is very much investing a lot more of its brand and its sport and everything that comes with it in the Middle East. Um not to get too political on this, guys, because that's not what this podcast is about. But, Lee, I'm going to come to you first. Are you surprised that F1 has made such a huge commitment to a circuit or to a country who haven't yet hosted a Grand Prix uh, in Formula One before we've actually had one there later on in the year? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised at all. Um, I, I mentioned a bit before the... Formula One has always been about uh, money, and money talks a lot in the sport. Obviously, you have the in the driver market, you get paid drivers, um, and in the actual race calendar, you get paid tracks, so to speak. I'm not sure that's an actual terminology that's used, but effectively, all the tracks pay, but they're the ones that give a lot more money to be on the calendar because they want to make themselves look good internationally. Uh, normally because they've got human rights things and other things they want to uh, to disappear. Well, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, going to a country that has no history of sport, but then with Qatar, they did that with the World Cup as well. So, or the, the Football World Cup. Um, so, yeah, it's money talks in a lot of sports these days, not just Formula One. No, no, it's very, very true. Um, and, you know, F1 has to be looking at its revenue streams in order to keep the sport going in the direction that they want. Um, you know, a lot of it has been focused on how we can save money, and I think they're doing a lot of that with the budget cap, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But of course, they've got to try and make more money. There's different ways to do that. I suppose one question I would like to ask, based on what you said, Lee, is you mentioned the human rights element. I think that is an important thing that I would say a lot of other sports have tried to use their own platform and their own influence to try and improve the human rights situation in certain countries in the Middle East. You know, Qatar being mentioned as one of them, especially with the FIFA World Cup happening there uh, this time next year. That will be starting, so that's coming up pretty quick. Um, and then, of course, you know, other franchises like the WWE, for example, have been out there for a few years in that part of the world. And also they've had some heavyweight boxing matches, um, of course, that have happened over there. So th there is a growing sporting influence going over there. Um, and there does seem to be this human rights element that they're trying to... Um, push if you like they're saying that we are here to on a more of a not more of a but you know as much in a humanitarian capacity as we are in a business one I mean do you feel that that's what F1 are going for they're trying to use their influence to try and achieve something similar or do you think it's just primarily about you know who can give us the most money to host a Grand Prix at the moment um I would say it's probably partly two places of it's firstly who can give us the most money and secondly, they'll be, oh, we're doing it for the human rights bit and they may do a little bit on the, the grid or something like that. But as a country, um, they won't want to publicise any um, violations against human rights. They do. You have to just have to look at Bahrain in the past when there's been protests. And uh, obviously, the, the it's the local um, TV companies or whatever you want to call it that manage the, the, the footage that's 
suppliers are from that's then on the live streams and they don't you don't see the protesters at all at barring but they're there so uh, what's what's the benefit of going there no it's not even seen of the the protests or the violations and that kind of um, knowledge of using the platform to get out to the world yeah, uh, yeah. that's very true i mean we saw I'm trying to think what year it was. I remember about 10, 15 years ago, there was huge talk of the Bahrain Grand Prix not actually going ahead because of the protests that were going on. Um, we didn't see any of that at all over the course of the coverage, if I remember rightly. I mean, this was a long time ago. Um, and it's probably been a lot of that since. But because of where the circuit is located, it's so remote. that he, I remember Kimi Raikkonen saying that whenever he used to go to Bahrain, he said it was one of the, with all due respect to any Bahrainians out there, um, that it was one of the most boring weekends for him in terms of uh, a social aspect because you turn up to the circuit, you're pretty much staying in the motorhomes, et cetera, et cetera, on the circuit. I mean, they're used to that a lot more these days because of COVID. Um, but you wouldn't explore the cities. You wouldn't explore Bahrain in general. It's literally just turn up to the track. You do your business, go back to your motorhome, and you just repeat until Monday and then you go home. And it's even longer if you're testing out there afterwards. So, And in the case of Kimmy, not going to the bar. <laughs> exactly. And, and well, that's a big thing in, in those kind of countries anyway. So he would have been, uh, yeah, he'd have had to have been respectful either way to the customs there, which, you know, it's absolutely fine. Um, but Courtney, I want to get your thoughts on this as well, because, you know, Lee's rated a lot of good points there about what F1's uh, ambitions, I suppose, what their mantra is going to be, going to places like Saudi Arabia, uh, not so much Abu Dhabi, but Qatar and Bahrain, etc., for years and years to come now, possibly for the next decade at least. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Do you feel that F1 you know, is really interested in trying to improve the humanitarian situation there, or do you feel that because we're in a COVID world right now, um, where a lot of the European circuits that people would prefer us to go to just can't put up the money to host a race, that it gives these countries like Qatar and Saudi Arabia a huge advantage of being able to buy their way onto the F1 calendar. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of sugarcoating going on there. Um, we've phrased quite a few times in the past how one of the biggest gripes the general Formula 1 fan base has for the sport is um, how money talks with some of the drivers becoming the Formula 1 and we see genuine talents miss out. We're now starting to see a similar situation with the tracks where we miss out on some of the most iconic circuits with some of the most iconic um, corners, getting some of the greatest moments we've ever seen in Formula 1, no longer hosting races because they can't afford it based on inflation that's caused by these other countries that are able to pay so much more money because of their um, their wealth. And it's, it's just a shame that we're sort of missing out. The potential of the sport is missing out, not only because of these paid drivers, but also because some of these venues we go to. You know, it's, I'm, I'm all for going to different continents because as much as I love the European circuits, it, it's supposed to be a world championship. It's not so supposed to be um, Eurocentric. But at the same time, you want to be seeing some of the circuits. So like Circuit of the Americas. We went to, we've, we've, got, we've now gone to America and I think the circuit offers, you know, the, the steep incline at the start and some, of the, and some of the corners. It's become a part of the furniture with Formula One. But some of these new circuits, particularly the street circuits, they offer nothing. They, they offer nothing to the fans and they, they offer nothing to the drivers. It's simply because of money. And that's what turns some people off Formula One. Mm. And, and this is a good point, actually, because when we talk about new circuits, and this isn't us hating on street circuits but i find it really really frustrating sometimes when formula one goes to a brand new venue and say hey it's going to be a street circuit and it's like 
but we don't want street circuits. Mm. Yeah, okay, we always love the element of danger and the element of risk at somewhere like Monaco, for example, and Singapore offers a nice blend as well. To Singapore's that. probably the best we've had. I'd say Singapore's yeah. probably the best street circuit. Yeah, I think so. It's, yeah. it's, it, I think of, of those additions has been by far one of the best ones. Um, and, you know, for good reason. You know, it is a street circuit by nature, but there's a lot more characteristics to it than just the street circuit. You know, it's one where you can go quite quick. There's plenty of overtaking opportunities and it always seems to develop exciting racing, especially when it rains, as we've seen in the last couple of years. So, um, yeah, I'll make you right on that one. I suppose they're trying to recapture that in other places. Um, you know, and sometimes it can be, I, you know, I'm not a circuit designer by any stretch. I'm not in charge of it. I don't have much knowledge on how to properly design a Grand Prix circuit, but I'm pretty sure there's, it's probably cheaper to design one on the streets than it probably is to make one out in the suburbs or the outskirts, wherever it is that you're going to do it. So uh, part of me feels like we're going to have this race in Qatar at La Salle Circuit this year, and then 2023 we're going to have a race probably in Doha or somewhere like that, where it's all on the streets, just like how Jeddah's going to be and Miami. And all of a sudden, F1 starts to become a lot, a lot more how IndyCar used to be when they used to go to a lot of street circuits all the time. Of course, IndyCar have moved away from that to some degree. They still have some. But they've gone to more regular circuits, and I commend them for that because I think that's provided a lot of exciting racing. I mean, anyone who watched the, Lagu- the race at Laguna Seca would have found that incredibly fun to watch, especially if you were a Roman Grosjean fan. But, um, you know, get, getting back to the main point, it, it does seem that cash seems to be a big motivator in all of this. Um, I think we should be giving them a chance. It's a world championship. That's what's important. But I don't think... I think F1 needs to be careful when they decide what circuits we go to um what the prime motivator is because if it's all about just making money and hoping the show will provide the entertainment rather than the circuit that's going to be a very very dangerous precedent to make you know last year we had cars that were very difficult to pass each other there was a dominant team in mercedes and lewis hamilton in particular and we still had a lot of great races because we returned to a lot of the old european circuits that people know and love some of them have found their way onto the calendar this year and have equally provided some brilliant races. I don't think there's been a boring race this season at all. Perhaps Monaco being the only one. And even then, that was still quite good. So, yeah, I think there needs to be a balance there. But I think we're just going to have to see how this goes. Either way, I think a 10-year commitment is a huge statement of intent um, from Qatar and also from F1 as well. I just hope for their sake it works out for them and works out for the fans too. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. More talk on the calendar, though. Before we get into the preview, um, Stefano Domenicali had an interview with Sky Sports today where he was talking about the uh, final parts of the Canada for 2022 are being put into place and the announcement should be made rather soon. And he said that um, from what he does know, the calendar is going to start from mid-March and then it's going to end in mid-November. So around 36 weeks, obviously, to make sure that it ends before the FIFA World Cup starts in Qatar, of course, in 2022, they don't want that to clash. Uh, for obvious reasons. But um, what was interesting as well, he said in addition to the 23 races that we're going to be having next season, there's going to be a third of them, so theoretically around maybe seven or eight of them, that are going to be sprint races, which means we're going to be having quite a few more triple headers. And of those, we're going to be having three-day F1 race weekends for the sprint format a lot more often. Um, I mean... That's very, very ambitious. But um, Lee, I want to get your thoughts on this because we're basically going to be getting 23 Grand Prix weekends over a 36-week calendar 
with a third of those being sprint weekends as well. I mean, is that too much for the F1 calendar now? Are we getting into the realms where this is becoming ridiculously um, oversaturated, this calendar? There's like, there's too much going on. I mean, uh, as a fan, I I love when the Formula 1's on. In a weekend where there's no Formula 1, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this weekend. There's no Formula 1 to watch. So for me, a triple header is like, yes, three weeks straight of Formula 1. This is great. But from obviously from a logistics and a team point of view, that's not so good for them because they are people. They do have lives. They do have family. um, And they don't want to be away for weeks or months at a time. Um, But I know that Toto the other day suggested about Mercedes would look at team rotation for their pit crew to give some of the junior members of the team experience to get them more involved. And it also gives a break to the more experienced members of the team. And obviously if they do that, it's a different matter, but from a personnel kind of thing, you think of a career development, that would be a great way to work your way up within the team. Obviously they do have budget constraints and things about having extra staffing. But having that so many races in that short sort of space of time is probably is a bit too much, especially on the people side of things more than the fan base side of things. I mean, if if you said thirty six weeks and you go to a crazy Formula One fan, do you want a thirty six races in thirty six weeks? There probably some of them go, yeah, I'll, I'll have that. As long as you can provide good races for thirty six weeks, I'll I'll have thirty six races. But that's not practical. And yeah. so twenty three. It's, it's probably getting on the limit, but I know they probably want to push it to 25 long term. So that's probably going to be even more <laughs> stressful than um, 23 in 36 weeks. Mm. Well, this was the original plan, wasn't it? The 25 races across all, all the continents, but it was spread out logistically that we'd have all the races in one continent and just move on to the next one, which I guess made sense to a degree. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's a bit too much going on. I mean, you made a good point, what Total Wall said, to try and mitigate this issue, to get some relief for his um, senior crew, if you like, by rotating on a regular basis to give personnel more time to see their families and rest and recuperate before they go to the next race. At the moment, I believe that's prohibited. I think they're quite limited on the staffing yeah. numbers owing to the uh, budget cap uh, situation that we're in at the moment. I mean, something's got to give with this because f1 seemed to be adopting the approach that you know more is better more racing the better now look as a fan i'm not gonna lie just like you said lee i I think you know if they can do that without any hiccups or any issues or that everyone's capable of doing it without burnout or anything like that then yeah great the more the better the problem is i think from a human perspective and this is one i feel like i'm trying to go with on this is that a lot of people involved in Formula One have often spoken out about how difficult and how grueling these triple headers have been. You know, going from one circuit to the next, some of them doing 12 to 14 hour days, you know, constantly, no breaks in between. They don't see their family sometimes for almost a month. It does get to the point where you start to look at those situations and think these men and women aren't robots. They're superhuman, a lot of them, but they're not machines. They do need their rest. And I feel that perhaps F1 are neglecting the teams and the personnel that they should be looking afterwards because they're the stars of the show, not not Stefano Domenicali or Liberty Media or, or Ross Braun or anyone else. They're not the stars. They're the ones that, you know, come up with the ideas and, we, you know, they try to put on the show as best they can. So I think they haven't, I don't think they've given them enough consideration in this. Um, I think Claire Williams actually said that once that um, a few years ago when they tried the triple header, 
that it was something that everyone realised was quite gruelling and very, very difficult, and that F1 said they probably won't be doing that again. And this was a few years ago, and since then we've had several triple headers. We usually look for the triple headers first of all to see, you know, when we're going to have those big blocks um, in racing for opportunity, for example. Um, Courtney, I'll come to you on this one as well. Um, What do you make of this? Uh, As a standalone for 23 races in 36 weeks, do you feel that... F, I mean, what's the right number of races in your mind F1 should be aiming for? I mean, is it 23? Is it 25? Or perhaps it's a, a little bit less than that? I think another problem you're looking at is the cost capping issue. You know, you're asking these teams to cut the costs, but then you're putting them under more pressure, which will end up costing them more money. I mean, we've got a situation this year where we're going to be having 22, potentially 23 races. And we could have a championship decided based on engine allocations. You know, that's your reality of it. Um, and you, you know, I, I understand that the mechanical aspect of Formula One is a big deal, but at the same time, you don't want to be seeing championship decided because of like one driver had to take a, an extra engine because of how long the uh, the season is. So, one of the things that the people at the very top of Formula One need to think about is if you're going to have more races, you might have to increase the engine allocation, but in turn, that's going to increase costs. So, there's a lot of things for these for these um, for these people of Formula One to consider. Um, I'm all for having more races if it's spread out over a certain amount of time as well. As you said, there is the human element of it. And not not every fan of Formula One is a Formula One nut. You know, I I think after a while, if you're having like three, four races in a go, even that's that's a bit too much, even for the the biggest Formula One fan. So you don't want to be doing overkill with it because it, it just starts to show. It's just everything in moderation. That's the way it is going forward, really. That's why it should be anyway. Mm. Yeah, and that's a lot of good points. Um, you know, I understand F1, you know, they've got a show and obviously the fans have been, they've been, I won't say starved of it, but they've been wanting a little bit more. But I don't know if that should come in the form of having more races. You know, if we have a load of races and the show's not exciting, the solution isn't to have more races, you know. And I think sometimes when, the fans cry out for certain things in Formula One to be improved. I feel like F1 put the surveys out to say they're gathering the information and then they just go in a completely different direction altogether. And, you know, and sure. I, I'm not a businessman by any stretch, but I know that that's not, you know, if you want, if you take your customers' opinions and you seek their feedback and then you just ignore that and go with what you want, you're never going to be run a successful business doing that. So, again, look, We'll have to wait and see how this goes. I do like, Lee, what you mentioned about what Toto Wolf said about bringing in some junior uh, personnel to work in those teams and perhaps provide cover for those triple header weekends. I think it's a great way for them to learn experience. And of course, if F1 will allow that within the budget cap, it's a great way to train new people up into the sport rather than just wait for the other ones to get too tired and they have to go away for a while. You know, you've got to find that right balance. Um, With the sprint races, I think this is another factor as well because... A lot of us have had mixed opinions on the sprint races. I think some of us have thought they've been good. Some of us have felt that they've been just okay. And then others have really not been fans of it at all. I think for me personally, I feel that the Silverstone one was okay. There were some good moments in it. But um, most of them come from Fernando Alonso, to be fair, on his own. And then the Italian sprint race was probably a bit tepid. I would say, you know, I think a lot of people hoped that it would be the race where we saw a lot of overtakes. And then I think it was Karen Chanduk who made the point saying that the Italian race has never been won for loads and loads and loads of overtakes. I think people just forget that because it's such a high speed tempo as it is. 
So they just assume it's going to happen. And now, of course, what we saw was not many overtakes after the first lap or two. So, you know, with all that being said, is there a risk that F1 now, again, are not really looking at the the feedback or the return of their experiment and they're just pushing through with it anyway, hoping that it's going to work regardless of what the fans are saying about it? Well, personally, I don't think there's anything wrong with the current format, the current qualifying format. We've, we've had it before. They've tried to tinker with the qualifying and it's never worked. Maybe, this may be, the current format is good. It's like Formula 1 the people at the top of Formula One turn to gimmicks to fix the problem. But they're looking at the wrong things. But I think the fundamental problem for Formula One has been the car design, which has been limiting overtaking. And hopefully with what's coming next year, that will help with that. That that you know, so if if you get cars with more overtaking, in turn you're gonna get better races. Qualifying has never been the issue. If anything, if you tinker with qualifying and dilute the importance of it, then actually you're ruining one of the biggest features in Formula One. Like for example, if you imagine it would never happen because they have considered certain circuits. Can you imagine having a sprint race in Monaco? It'd be awful. The whole weekend would be awful. Like the, the best part of, um, you know, we've been talking about street circuits. The best part of a street circuit weekend is the qualifying. So I just think you shouldn't be playing with the things that actually work in Formula One. Sort out what is wrong with it. And then if there are still issues, then review it then. But I think it's, it's like they were coming almost gibbicky to, you know, fill in holes that sort of have different solutions. I don't know. It's, it's a strange one. A bit like square pegs and round holes, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. It's funny because <laughs> you mentioned the sprint races in Monaco. And I'm thinking I would only allow that under one circumstance. I mean, do you remember a couple of years ago when I think it was Kimi Raikkonen was still at Ferrari? Um, and for the British Grand Prix weekend, I think Johnny Herbert, Martin Brundle raced him on a couple of lawnmowers. If you haven't, let him have a go around that or let him have right in some high powered go karts. You see those ones you see on YouTube. I think they race around Hockenheim or the Nürburgring. There's like really high speed go karts that do like 150, 160 miles an hour. Let them have a go in them. Mm, it's probably a health and safety nightmare, but I mean, we're talking about Formula One here. So if you can make them safe, let them do that. If you're going to do a sprint race at Monaco, um, and, I mean, that certainly spice up the action a little bit. But, um, you know, as I said, I think with these sprint races, I think you have to be careful with trying to jam something down your audience's throat when, you know, the jury's still out on whether these sprint races are going to be a success. Granted, I think it's worth keeping the experiment going for another year at least because, um, I mean, it's not been a total failure, but I don't think it's been as successful as people would have hoped. Um, certain naming conventions have to change. I'm not a big fan of awarding the Friday pole position, the Speed King. Um, that doesn't really sit with me um give me cake say yeah a little bit it's kind of like oh we hadn't really thought of what we're going to do with this but we'll just call it that just for the sake of doing something i mean yeah very very strange i mean i like what they did at silverstone actually um i remember saying before that i wasn't a big fan of them being paraded on that bus with the reefs around them um i remember we were talking about this with aldous courtney and i i I said i didn't like it but to be fair he said it was and i'm not gonna lie it's kind of grown on me now that I think back on that, it's, there's a bit of nostalgia to it. Not so much the bus, the reef element to it, which is kind of cool. But um, Italy, we didn't have anything like that, did we? Um, they couldn't even no. celebrate on the podium. We had Valtteri on look, what looked like a set of scales or something like that afterwards while he was being interviewed. It was all very, very strange. But I, the point I'm making is that I think F1 needs to be careful about trying to push through with something that we don't know if it's successful yet. Hopefully the 2022 cars next season will create 
more exciting sprint races. But again, it's a big commitment to something we don't know if it's going to be working or not. And I think the fans, they're still split on this. So we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. I mean, Lee, what what are your thoughts? Do you feel that, um, you know, introducing more sprint races could be a good thing for the F1 weekend? Or do you feel that it all kind of depends on where we actually have these sprint races? Well, I actually agree with pretty much with what you've both already said. It is It is a bit gimmicky. It doesn't really need to be changed. Qualifying is probably one of the best bits of the, the weekend, although it did make me laugh imagining the sprint race around Monaco. I hadn't even thought of that one. Um, but it's it, it's almost like the the suggestion of um, Bernie Eccleston about sprinters to make the races more interesting. Um, it, it hasn't all it's done is provided more jeopardy on a Friday, but Saturday is now, well, this, this is pretty boring because nothing happens. Mm. So you've just moved the excitement of Saturday qualifying to Friday, which is now not qualifying. It's whatever name convention they're now applied to the fastest lap on a, a Friday for qualifying for the qualifying non-race. Well, I don't even, I'm so confused of what they actually called the, the different things are it's their the, the sole hope is on the regulations as you both said for next year and that the cars can overtake and sprint and qualifying it comes a radiant success with the new cars but i think it's big it is a big commitment for the unknown of how the cars are actually going to perform in real life compared to computer simulations yeah i'm worried that there's a bigger problem that i think f1 are trying to well, they're not addressing it, but they're trying to fix it with something else. Now, F1 obviously are chasing more revenue streams. They're looking to try and find a way to get more fans to engage with the sport, particularly the younger fans. And a lot of this has similar hallmarks to the old Super League issue. For those of you football fans that would remember that atrocity. And I was one of the I was a fan of one of the teams involved in that, so I wasn't exactly best pleased with that. That being said, um, one of the issues they had that they had that F1 seems to have, is they're having a harder time engaging with younger fans, getting them more involved in the sport, the next generation of fans in the sport, who some of them claim they don't want to sit for two hours and watch a race and watch 20-odd cars go around and the race is won by either Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen at the moment. They want to see a more exciting show. And F1's solution to that seems to be we'll make the race shorter, therefore there will be the drivers will be more desperate to try and fight each other, even though at the moment there's not really much reward for it as we've seen evidently, and I think the drivers seem to agree with that because they seem to take what they can and then we'll just deal with it in the next race and the next day. Um, I think one of the bigger problems that F1 seem to have is that they're looking at it the wrong way. You know, for example, uh, they were looking at German viewing figures um, and German viewing figures have dropped quite massively. I think as much as 50-60% compared to how they used to be uh, a couple of years ago. And one of the biggest differences... Well, there were two big differences, actually, I should mention. One of them, of course, was that there's no German Grand Prix on the F1 Canada. And this is quite a problem because whilst we don't have a German driver fighting for a world championship like we've been used to having for the last 20 years, if you think back to 20, 2018 was the last time we had a German driver fighting for a world championship. And that's been going on since Michael Schumacher had gone into the sport. So almost 30 years where we've had a German driver in a sport, a country that before Michael Schumacher come along, did not have a race rich racing history in Formula One. Yeah. 
So obviously that wasn't a, was a factor. So having no Grand Prix at either the Nürburgring or at Hockenheim was a big problem for German fans. And a lot of German Germany was the last country, I think, that went to pay-per-view, at least of the ones that have a major audience. And Germany used to have the largest televised viewing audience in the world in terms of Formula One. Now it doesn't, of course, because of that. And that's kind of the, uh, I think, the burden S1, F1 needs to address is the fact that it's not because young fans don't choose to watch Formula One because they think it's boring. It's because they can't afford to watch it. It's because they can't afford to watch um, the races live because everything's on pay-per-view now. I mean, look in the UK. You know, Sky, to their credit, have done a fantastic job and taken broadcasting for Formula One to another level in this country. But I imagine so many more people probably wanted to watch it live when it was on the BBC or ITV or Channel 4 because it was free to watch. Um, I'll probably guarantee the British Grand Prix probably got the highest viewing figures in the country. I don't know that for sure, but I'm probably going to stake a claim and say it did because it was free to watch, wasn't it, Colt? I mean, you know, that's, and that's the other issue, you know, because a counter-argument to that could be is, well, you know, um, football's pay, pay-per-view, but, you know, it's still a big part of the culture, like here in the UK and in Europe, but there are several issues with that. With football... Okay, barring one of like these the uh, Premier League clubs in London, if you want to go and watch a football game, it's affordable. A weekend at a Formula One circuit, as we know, like in Silverstone, for example, isn't cheap. So it isn't accessible for, you know, generally speaking, people from working class backgrounds. Whereas we, you know, and and football, you're more likely to get into it because all you need is grass. I don't know, four jumpers and a football, and some friends in order to play. It's not like you can just go down to the local karting track if you're not very wealthy. And the only way that people on low incomes could get into Formula One is because they was watching it, as you said, on BBC. So there's a problem where, because of the increasing cost in Formula One, and you know, we mentioned it earlier on, with these rich countries coming in, that's all inflation. It's all inflation of money. And... As usual, the, the people that suffer the most are the people on the lowest incomes and they're not going to be engaged. You know, we're seeing, you know, Lewis Hamilton come from a, compared to most Formula 1 drivers coming from a poorer background. We never see it happen. And those opportunities are only going to lessen with the decisions that the people at Formula 1, at the top of Formula 1 are making. It's becoming more and more elitist and it's a big issue. Mm. Yeah, I mean... You know, I've not gone through any of the financial figures. Of course, I wouldn't be able to. Um, but I would be very interested to see if F1 had looked at the feasibility of perhaps signing with broadcasters that would provide free-to-air coverage in, in the countries that actually have had the huge biggest drop in viewing. Um, you know, Because, you know, of course you want to, you know, guarantee that, that equity and the money and everything that comes with the revenue that in Formula One from TV companies. And of course, that's always going up and up and up because of the competition. It's the same thing in other sports. We've just talked about football in that regard. They've had the same thing. They've had that huge war in the UK between Sky and BT in particular. Now they've formed a synergy with each other. Now they're where they're happy to allocate certain sections of games so that both of them can have their piece of the pie. Um, and the Premier League's only going to get better for it. And it's the same thing with F1. Um, all around the world, you know, you're going to have broadcasters fighting for the rights exclusively to show the sport, but they're going to expect their customers, people watching it, to pay a premium to watch the races. So this kind of goes back to what Stefano Domenicali was saying, that we have to make the show more exciting because if we stick with the old ways, the sport dies. And I'm thinking, 
Well, no, because if you're targeting the younger audience with these newer ways, the reason why the younger audience aren't tuning into your show is not because they don't want to watch it or they don't have access to, but if you're under 16, in what world, are your pa- if your parents aren't going to pay for it, are you going to be able to do that yourself? You're going to have to go and get a paper round exactly. and buy it yourself. It's just not going to happen. Um, Lee, what are your thoughts on this? Do you feel that F1 need to you know, look at what they're currently doing with their TV rights and TV deals to try and bring younger fans into the sport? Or do you think perhaps there is a way they can experiment with what's going on with the show right now that can actually bring those fans in regardless or make them pay to watch the show? Because I think that is the real target for F1. Um, I think you you both touched it perfectly. It's a, it's the fundamental issue on how they broadcast. I mean, the not that any of us are old but the the, the younger generation eh? you stick it on youtube you stick it on instagram you stick it on twitch they'll, they'll sit there for hours um watching stuff on on those platforms and um, especially twitch where they'll watch people play games for hours on end and not actually play games themselves um so it's not so much oh we'll make it sure to get their attention because they can handle um, long pieces of uh, media to watch. It's just as you said, it's the accessibility, um, and especially in the in the UK and other big markets, you just can't get to it if you're a bit younger age. And it's, uh, I mean, I'm sure you both have similar memories. I remember watching it when I was a kid, and when my parents had it on, my family wouldn't have been in a place to pay um, Sky's rates to watch access Sky to watch Formula One. And I, I love the sport, but it, I would never have got into it if it wasn't free. Well, no, that's it. I mean, you, there has to be an incentive there to convince fans to want to pay for it, no matter how hardcore you are. I mean, for me, per, me personally, this season, I've not really wanted to pay to watch uh, Football One BT Sport, especially in Europe, because my team aren't playing in Europe this season, sadly. So there's no incentive for me at this point to want to do that. And I feel like for F1 fans, um, they kind of go through the same conundrum. Like if you're struggling to afford to pay uh, for broadcasting services to watch F1, chances are you're not going to do it. And, you know, so I feel like F1 need to address that rather than thinking, how can we make the show so exciting that our fans will have no choice but to pay money that they can't afford to watch our show? It doesn't it doesn't sit right with me, but I'm not a businessman. So, you know, I come up with an idea like that. They probably say, no, Adam, get out of there. You know, you're not interested in making money. But look, Anyway, let's move on. We've been going on for quite a while now about things not related to the Turkish Grand Prix preview, so we need to appease the YouTube algorithm and actually talk about the thing we've titled in the thumbnail. So, um, yeah, the Turkish Grand Prix preview. Um, Had a nice little break, another incredible race at the Russian Grand Prix, not something I thought I'd be saying a couple of weeks ago, but Russia certainly delivered in that regard. And uh, the biggest talking point, of course, we're going to have to go into is the everlasting battle between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. Now, of course... Going into the Turkish Grand Prix after Russia, I imagine Lewis Hamilton, after getting his 100th Grand Prix win, would have thought he'd have a bit more of a sizable margin ahead of Max Verstappen in the championship uh, until his Red Bull pulled up alongside him to finish in second place in what was a ridiculously crazy race. So going into this race, Lee, where is your head at in terms of this fight right now? Do you feel that despite Lewis winning the Russian Grand Prix, it's very much advantage Max Verstappen? Or do you feel that Lewis still could be in control of this championship towards the end of the season now that he has a lead to hold on to? Well, I, I think there's quite a few points um, to be expanded on regarding it. But I would have said 
fundamentally, I think it is advantage Max um, for the championship. Obviously, I'm, I'm not going to deny I'm a Lewis fan and I would love him to get his eighth championship. But the the way it's looking at the moment and you think about it, obviously, there's a, there may be a, an engine penalty coming up this race or in the future for Lewis, um, which is going to set him back because um, that was a wonderful recovery drive for Max in Sochi getting to P2. Um, there's obviously the track in uh, Istanbul Park. Obviously, last year there was no grip and the water blasted it, but if that's improved the grip level at all, um, that's another unknown. And there's, I think there was a forecast of rain as well again for this weekend. So, I mean, it, it could be another crazy race in the cards and Lewis and Max crash into each other because they slide off the road. Hey, who knows? Hopefully that opens the door for Lando Norris and he can get his first F1 <laughs> oh, yeah. win that he thoroughly deserved. But unfortunately, um, fate is a cruel mistress indeed. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right, Lee. They, they, there was a lot of issues with the grip on the track surface last season. From what I've heard, they have addressed those. So we should be seeing the cars pointing in the right direction more often than not, which will be music to Valtteri Bottas's ears because he certainly spent more time spinning than a freaking laundromat on us on the best of days. Um Corny, you look like you're itching to weigh in on this one as well. So I'm going to come to you. Um, you know, given where we've been this season in terms of which team has, which car has been more favourable on this circuit, it does seem that uh, the Russian Grand Prix could potentially have been the last race that we go to that Mercedes would have fancied themselves as being the team with the best package altogether. Do you feel that that's true? Or do you feel that perhaps Mercedes still have a few tricks up their sleeve that Red Bull won't see coming? I think it's, it all depends on where Mercedes take this uh, edge of penalty for Lewis. I, you know, if it was down to me, luckily it's not. Um, I would take it this weekend. I think this is going to be one of the better circuits for overtaking, particularly if there are changeable conditions forecasts. Um, I think the next couple of circuits are going to be fairly even because I think it's circuit the Americas after this, isn't it? Mm, that's right. Yeah. yeah. But then you look at circuits are we, are we going to brazil this year for the moment um yeah. we haven't heard anything but it does look like we're going to have a race um it, it might just be one against better judgment by the looks yeah. of things at the moment um again I, i'm not a politician and i'm certainly not involved in the f1 calendar so uh yeah we'll have to wait you see. look at you look at mexico and brazil and red bull are usually particularly strong at those circuits so it does seem that red bull overall do have an advantage i think but Lewis has to has to take the pain on the circuit where it's easier to overtake. If he takes the engine penalty and he's there or thereabouts still, I think we're in for an interesting end. But I just I think Red Bull just want this championship more and invested more in the development of their car. And the results are starting to show. Nothing against them, but the results are starting to show. Red Bull do have a, a slight advantage when it comes to the overall package they've delivered this year. And that's what it's all about. I mean you know, you're not using it as an excuse. You're not, because I know a lot of people have saying that, oh, well, Red Bull have put more money in, they're developing the car even still, they're going to compromise themselves in 2022. I mean, we don't know. They may have found the right balance and Mercedes may have underdone it. You know, nobody really knows how, what is the optimum uh, commitment, if you like, to developing this year's car and also developing next year's car. We're going to have to wait and see next year. I mean, if Red Bull win this championship, or worse, if they lose this championship and next year's car is an absolute dog by comparison, they're going to be kicking themselves big time. Um, you know, so we'll have to wait and see. And there's no guarantee that if Mercedes put the brakes on for this year and 
try to win it with what they have and produce a great car next year. We, we don't know. There's no guarantee. You know, for all we know, Huss could be smashing it next year because they've hardly developed this year's car at all. It's just a pity that their driver lineup is the way it is. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. It literally will be Mazepin versus Schumacher in the same way that we saw Rosberg, Hamilton or Weber Vettel, if you like, you know, or, you know, something like that. Mazepin world champion. God. <laughs> Well, I mean, if he does, That'll congratulations. But uh, yeah, I mean, social media is <laughs> going to be good, a fun place. <laughs> good, good luck. Good luck with the viewing figures if that happens. Yeah, well, <laughs> the Russian figures will peak, I'm sure, no yeah. doubt. Um, it'll be a massive one. We've got a lot of people there. Might be able to fill the void for the rest of us. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 crazy. Paris, my mind's gone completely towards that now. It's literally Mazepin world champion. I can't get that out of my Sorry. head. <laughs> oh, wow. On the bright side, it could still be Mick Schumacher. That would be a story, wouldn't it? Um, anyway, look, I'm getting sidetracked here. But with this battle going on, it does seem, in my opinion, that um, you know Red Bull will definitely be fancying their chances for the rest of the season. I think they probably went to Monza and Sochi thinking that Mercedes were going to punish them quite a lot. Um, Red Bull turned out to be a lot quicker at Monza, and I don't think anyone expected Max and Lewis to collide in the way that they did, uh, which really ruined Lewis's weekend more than anybody else's. And, of course, Max Verstappen was able to benefit from the weather to salvage a very difficult situation for him in Sochi. So it does seem the advantages with them. From what we've seen from Bottas's engine issues, where, of course, the Monza one, by the sounds of it, was completely written off. So we had to take another new engine in Sochi. So it wasn't all tactical. It does seem that inevitable that it's going to happen to Lewis. So, you know, when he decides to do that, only he will know it could happen this weekend. He may hope that with the weather being as uh, volatile as it could potentially be, it might provide the best opportunity to mitigate any damage. And uh, if anything's like last year, he could still win it. It's Lewis, you know, so certainly why not? Um the role of Bottas and Perez, we've talked a lot this season, guys, and it's been quite evident that Valtteri Bottas, particularly towards the latter half of this F1 season, has proven to be the more reliable number two driver out of the two and consistent one in terms of delivering those top end performances. Um, despite the promise that Monza offered us, Sochi was a bit underwhelming, not necessarily Valtteri's fault, but it's just the way it, it went. He did recover, I think it was P6 in the end, um, in in the race. So what are we expecting from those two guys? Are we expecting Valtteri to be back in the hunt like he was in Monza? Or are, are we expecting Sergio Perez perhaps to have a better weekend? Because um, he's been very up and down. I think Sochi was better, but again, not quite where you'd want him to be. The weather caught him out as well. But um, I mean, there's some signs of improvement. He had a great race in Turkey last season. We shouldn't forget that. So what are we expecting from these two? Um, Lee, I'll come to you first. Well, I would have said, as long as the track grip has improved, Lee Stemble Park and Valtteri doesn't spin continuously. And if um, they'll want him up there, um, especially if Lewis does take the engine penalty, they'll want Valtteri to go and win, unless Lewis can somehow win from the back, which is never never say never, but they will want Valtteri to go and win and not stop Max taking victory. Um, and it, it seems to, since the he's got his new drive... Alfa Romeo, apart from he's had the many two penalties, Valtteri has been more of his old self um, with the pressure released. So with a new engine, as long as he doesn't take another engine penalty, I would expect Valtteri to do uh, outperform Perez. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that although Max has the advantage for the championship, I think Mercedes could still snatch constructors just because 
Valtteri's effort compared to Perez. Yeah, I mean, Mercedes is kind of stealing a march in the constructors at the moment. They seem to be performing rather well. Uh, and they're building the gap all the time. I'm just looking at my phone to see what the gap is. I think it's about 33 points in Mercedes' favour, which is quite a lot. Um, Courtney, do you, would you owe that down to what Bottas has been doing in particular, and perhaps Perez being a bit, little bit underwhelming? Or do you feel that, um, for whatever reason, that Perez has just not had the best of luck with Red Bull as Bottas has had with Mercedes this year? I mean, what do you owe Mercedes' performance compared to Red Bull in the constructors down to? Yeah, I think Bottas has performed better. I think we've actually seen scenarios where they've come up against each other and Bottas is the better of Perez. Could it be down to the amount of time he spent with the team? You know, he has an idea about the car's going to perform, maybe. But there's no denying that Bottas has performed better, you know. I think we've all been very critical of, of Bottas when he hasn't performed or when he hasn't got his elbows out in the way that maybe he should have. But over the course of the season, I don't think there's any denying that he has performed better than Sergio Perez this season. Yeah, true. Um, Lee, if, is there one area in Perez's overall game, if you like, this season that you feel he needs to improve on quickly if he's going to be more of a factor in this Constructors' Championship? I I think the area Sergio needs to improve on is his qualifying. He, he's had oh, some great races where he's come back through the field from a low qualifying. But by the time he comes back through the field, he's already out of touch with... Um, Max, Lewis and Valtteri up front, depending on all the varies, obviously. But he's always out of touch and he's like, oh, he's... Con- yeah. Um, apart from his win in um, Azerbaijan, he, has Sergio actually had another podium? He got third year? in France, didn't he? I, I can't recall. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think he did. And he had to pass Bottas to do that, yeah. But Still, that's he, not good enough. Yeah, considering he's in... Well, it's probably the fastest car mm-hmm. on the grid and he's only had one win and one podium. Um, it just shows the, the the effort he... Not that he's not putting in, but he needs to step up in the qualifying to be involved in the, the fight for the podium. And that's yeah, where he's yeah. he's losing the, the advantage to uh, Valtteri at the moment. Yeah, I'll make you right on that one. Um, I'm kind of the opinion with uh, Perez, if he can improve in qualifying, at the very, very least, to get on the second row of the grid, assuming the other three are his teammate and the two Mercedes, that will go a long way for Red Bull this season because more often than not he's found himself behind the two Ferraris sometimes the two McLarens most definitely even Pierre Gasly and some circles and even Sebastian Vettel when he's on a good one so it, it does seem that Perez does need to up his game in qualifying if he's going to be able to you know prove to be more of an asset for Red Bull in this championship because they've got a real chance at both titles and I think we previewed the season and we thought that I thought that Max would win the title, and I still do, and I think Mercedes are going to win the Constructors because I just felt Bottas was going to do a better role as number two, and I think we're seeing that evidently that is what's happening. Um, We'll have to wait and see what Perez does next season. We'll get that chance, but whether they win the Constructors' Championship or not this season, Red Bull will be looking for more improvements from their number two driver and more pace, ultimately, because I think that is what's led him down, and he's had to recover almost every weekend. He's nowhere near the top two rows. But let's, of course, move on to Ferrari and McLaren. Um, I'm going to briefly touch on Ferrari because a lot of the headlines over the last couple of weeks have been very deservedly about McLaren for a lot of good things. You know, Daniel Ricciardo brilliantly winning the Italian Grand Prix with Lando Norris coming home in second place for them. And Lando so cruelly being robbed of a first win of his career uh, in such 
you know, dramatic fashion with the weather change. It, one of those, you know, situ- one of those situations where if you make the wrong call, you're punished. And if you make the right one, you're made to look like a genius, really. Um, that's just how it goes in the sport. But um, on the subject of Ferrari, they've kind of been going about their business quite quietly. They're still in the hunt. They're still, uh, I think, about 14 points or something like that behind McLaren and the constructors. So by no means, they're not out of it. Um, but after a couple of Grand Prix now that McLaren have very much had the advantage, as we expected them to do so, do you feel that Ferrari now will be looking at the rest of the races this season? Bear in mind they're going to have the upgraded engine of Leclerc and possibly one for Sainz if he has to take a penalty this weekend, I'm guessing. Do you think Ferrari will feel confident that they can claw that deficit back from McLaren at circuits they're expected to be stronger at? Um, Courtney, what do you reckon? It's certainly a possibility. I still think in terms of raw performance, I think Lando's been the best driver out of the four drivers from the two respective teams. So I've, I do feel that Lando could be the person that could claw enough points for McLaren just to edge the Constructors' Championship battle. That's just my opinion. But with the upgrades and um, the upgrades coming for Ferrari, it's certainly a possibility. I want to be seeing a bit more Charles Leclerc, though. You know, he's, he's been fantastic. He's had his moments, but I think that he's capable of doing better than he has been this season. You know, he's, he, as I said, he's had his near moments, but he hasn't been quite as consistent as I expected him to be. So I do feel that if Ferrari are to win this battle, I think we need to see a bit more consistency from Charles Leclerc in the way that we might be starting to see signs from um, Danny Ricciardo, for example. Mm. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean... Science had a very, very good race. Uh, managed to get P3 in the end in Russia. Um, you know, the weather really did help him a little bit. Charles Leclerc was a strange one because he started at the back just like Max Verstappen. And like Max, he did fight his way through the field quite quickly. He did a really, really good job, but then got caught out by the weather. So it completely ruined his race and put him, I think it was 15th in the end. But you are right, Corny. I think there are some good moments to Leclerc this season. I think he's been one of the best drivers this season. It's just unfortunately he's not been consistent enough. Uh, nowhere near as consistent as someone like Norris, and that has been the difference between the two. Um, Lee, what are you making of this battle? Do you think Ferrari will be feeling optimistic now that Leclerc's got that brand new power unit in that apparently is worth up to a quarter of a second round Sochi on ultimate pace, which is you know pretty impressive? Um, do you think that they're going to fancy themselves to try and claw that deficit back to McLaren? I, I don't think it's so much as the, the team themselves, or they may do, uh, be feeling optimistic, but I don't think it's, I think it's more down to the drivers. I think Carlos will will be biting at a bit and close that gap down. But um, from what we're reading with Charles Leclerc, he's obviously, he's having a bit of falling out um, with Matteo Bonotto at Ferrari, at Monza. Um, and that, that seems to have slightly spilled over into Sochi from what I, been reading because it's, it's about um, seems to be rumored about that they Ferrari are now prioritizing Carlos's feedback over Charles's feedback, which hasn't gone down very well. Um, so I think Charles at the moment is a is a bit demotivated. Um, he's lost his he's lost his um, mojo in the team because effectively Carlos has come in and gone. Uh, this is my team. Um, pretty much what Charles did to Sebastian. So. He, he, he needs to refine his equilibrium, um, and that's that. T- that takes a bit of time because that's the first time he's been in that situation where Carlos has gone from team to team, from team to team. So he's used to coming in and marking his, um, trying to mark his territory. And um, so I, I, I think it's very much down to how the drivers are going to approach it more than the, the team thinking they can claw it back. I'm sure they do, 
but I think it's more driver individualistic than the team is overall. But on the on, on the McLaren side of things, you just think a moment about Lando was in the fight for pole at Spa. If he got pole, that could have been a McLaren victory, especially how the Spa went. A McLaren victory at Monza until the last three rap, laps. A McLaren victory at Sochi. McLaren uh, could have won three out of the last three races if you if you really think about it. So the performance advantage McLaren has over Ferrari, and it's I don't think Ferrari can close that gap. No, it's a fair point. Um, I I would stress as a rebuttal to that that those were free circuits. We were expecting the deficit between those two teams to probably be at its biggest. Yeah. Um, and, and McLaren, as you said, Lee, that they were very unlucky not to get more than one win. You know, they did a great job getting the win at Monza and, and they were very unlucky not to get wins at the other two as well. Um, it's a good point about Charles Leclerc because he does need a good weekend. Um, the last few have not been fantastic for him and it has seen Carlos Sainz get ahead of him in the Drivers' Championship. And it's a testament to how good Sainz has been this season, how consistent he has been. You know, he has not had the highs that Charles Leclerc has had, but he got a P2 at Monaco uh, when Charles could have very much won that race if he didn't have his mistake in qualifying. And he got a podium here as well. So, you know, you've got to look at that for all the right reasons. And even Carlos himself has said that he has not fully understood the Ferrari yet. So there's still more to come from him, which is only good news for Ferrari. But for Charles Leclerc, if you're in his camp, he definitely needs to find a way to get back to the level he was driving at at Silverstone, um, you know, because there is definitely more to come from him and he definitely needs to do his part for the team as well. And I think it's it's beyond the inter-team rivalry. It's always nice to have, but I think Ferrari's objective has to be McLaren. So they have to make sure they can do everything they can to stop them. Um, but talking about McLaren, of course, we've mentioned them briefly a few times. Um, it was another solid performance from Ricardo at Russia. Um, I'm expecting something similar from him. He seems to be finding his mojo a bit more. But um, Lando Norris, this is going to be a big one for him because um, uh, th- when we were recording this on the Monday, so I think he was on this morning on ITV yeah. uh, talking with Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby about mental health. And of course, that's coming off the back of after the first season he had, he said he, you know, he felt really lonely and he is struggling with his mental health. But all of this, of course, he's talking about this um, off the back of arguably his most difficult experience in motorsport uh, of his career so far. You know, being so close to getting that first win, looks like he's got it in the bag. If it stayed dry, he probably would have done, only for it to be snatched away owing to one mistake in judgment. You know, not to blame him or blame the team, you know, etc. It doesn't really matter. You know, ultimately they both made the wrong call and that's what cost him. But, you know... He, this weekend's going to be a big one for him. What do you think the mentality is going to be like for Lando Norris? Is he going to be able to shut that out? Bearing in mind he's only 21. You know, that that's a lot to ask for from an elite sportsman of any experience to shut out a difficult experience like that. How do you see this weekend going for Lando? Can he put that to the back of his mind and carry on as he has been so brilliantly? Or do you think that this could potentially have a bit of a hangover effect on him? I reckon the expectations from this weekend in a strange way will actually help Lando. Um, The fact that McLaren aren't expected to be the strongest team will give Lando the opportunity to have a quiet but solid weekend for the team, maximising the package. If he's to do that, he'll start building his confidence again. You know, he's not going straight into a situation where he might be expected to win a race again and the pressure's on him. 
you know, McLaren could potentially be the third, maybe the fourth fastest team. So he'll be, he'll be, his mind would be focused on maximising the package rather than winning. And as I said, I reckon that could be, this could be a good scenario for him, actually. Mm. And Lee, what do you think? Do you think Lando can recover, put Russia to the back of his mind and focus on the job at hand? Because it's still a job to do. You know, there's certainly, whilst you've said that they look good against Ferrari, they're certainly not out of the woods just yet. Yeah, they're not out of the woods. That's great. Um, but they, no, I think Lando will be buying at the bit, personally. Um, I think, as Courtney said, he'll be maximising the package and, and not being, I, I mean, he, he, he may be in the, up the front um, fighting for pole. You know, Lando has surprised when he, he got close to Nimola, but he'll probably fall short, but he'll have a solid race and they'll just, as Courtney said, he'll just build his confidence. And it's not that he's, he, he crashed or made a mistake. It's just the wrong choice. It's not hit his driving style or anything like that. And if he's, so I, I think he'd be buying it a bit personally. Nice. Fair enough. Um, just looking uh, further on, I've seen Alpine and AlphaTauri. Um, I, I want to talk about AlphaTauri now, Aston Martin, if I may for a little bit, because Alpine, they seem to be rather solid at the moment. And again, the performances are just rolling in for them, but AlphaTauri and Aston Martin have had a few couple of races now where they've pretty much scored next to nothing and they've been tripping over themselves. Um, Aston Martin had been having issues with the drivers and the team. Stroll and Vettel coming together a few times. AlphaTauri just seem to have all the worst luck in the world, especially if you're Pierre Gasly. I mean, what are those teams do you think have got to do to try and turn this around right now? Because it's two different problems for different reasons, but ultimately the same result is that they're getting nothing, whereas Alpine and Ocon and Alonso are just picking up points week in, week out in a car that's arguably not that much better than what they have. But their guys are just doing such a great job with it. I mean, what is the solution for those two teams? I look at the likes of Alpha Tauri and Aston Martin in particular, and I feel they're more focused on next season already. I think Alpine, particularly with the likes of Fernando Alonso, are keen to make a statement, you know, and have a, and be the top of that midfield battle. But I just think some of the midfield teams, and we see the teams at the back as well. I've, I've, I think they're already on. I think they're already next season. Of course, I'd like to score, be in point scoring positions when they have the chance to be. But yeah, I, I think apart, apart from Alpine, those other midfield teams, yeah, they're they're looking at next year. No, fair enough. I mean, that's quite bold. Um, but I wouldn't blame them for. I mean, I'd be surprised if there are still any teams, perhaps other than Red Bull, maybe that are actually focusing on this year's car in any capacity. Um, I think that you're at this point now we've got to kind of commit to next season, deal with what you have. Red Bull probably being the exception because I think there's still a championship for them to win. So they obviously want to make sure they win it. Um, Lee, what do you, what do you think? I mean, Alpha Tauri aside, I think Aston Martin, I think we should be focusing on a little bit more. What is going on at the moment between Vettel and Stroll? Because it seems that Stroll just can't seem to stop going into his teammate. Um, and, you know, this is going to be a circuit where both of them have had history for different reasons. Um, and the last thing Aston Martin need is the two drivers tripping over each other, but they always seem to fight each other at the moment. What, I mean, what is going on there? I, I think what's happening in Aston Martin is a, it's effectively is a battle of, of whose team it is. Um, obviously, we know financially it's Stroll's team because his daddy owns the team. But um, Sebastian's, I think, it's like, I'm better than you. I'm... I'm a world champion or ex-world champion uh, for time of that now. And, and this is my team, regardless of your father owning the team. 
and because they both seem to be maximizing the package which then finds them in the same part of the track because they're getting the same results out the car and they're tripping over each other because they're not it's the, your biggest rival is always your teammate and that's effectively what's happening in Aston Martin yeah very much so I mean you're right to point out you know Stroll's got the financial backing he's got the support because his dad owns the team but Vettel has been emphatically better than him for most of this season I mean Vettel's highs have been very very high and Lance for a while now has been well below what we expect of him you know I've been a big defender of Lance Stroll in the past earlier this season he very much was picking up the results but since Monaco onwards it's been very much Vettel um, and and the t- and Stroll's been picking up a point here or there if he can. So we'll have to wait and see. But Aston Martin, they really need to find a way to get them two to just do their races and not find each other on the track because it always seems to end in chaos. Um, it's to silly things as well. I mean, and, and AlphaTauri just need a bit better luck at the moment. Um, final thing we should talk about, um, we'll touch on Williams and Alpha uh, Romeo quite quickly. Um, Williams with George Russell. There's another 10th place finish at Russia. That was four in the last five races that he scored points. Now, it's quite amazing to think that. Um, are we expecting more points from Williams this weekend? Or is the well going to well and truly dry out for them? Because right now, they seem to be on a great run. Can't see why not. I think particularly with George. As I said, with some of these um, you know, midfield teams I mentioned where they seem to be on the beach, this is an opportunity for George in particular to capitalise. You know, We've seen in the last few races... Why not? Particularly if we have wet conditions again, we've, we've seen how much George excels in the wet conditions. So particularly, yeah, if we have another wet race, we could see George right there again on Sunday morning again. Mm. And we had that in qualifying last year, of course, Lance Stroll, funny enough, we were just talking about him, uh, getting pole position for the Racing Point team as it was at the time, with Perez, of course, up there with him as well. So, you know, it, you never know with George Russell. I, I feel like George has found another gear now. Now that he's got that Mercedes contract signed and in his hand for next year, it seems to have loosened the shackles up a little bit. He's driving with a bit more freedom, a bit more confidence, knowing that his career is not on the line right now. It could well be in years to come. But um, we're starting to see a better George Russell. I mean, Lee, Lee what, do you, what do you think? Do you feel that George is now finding that next level he needs to find to showcase to Mercedes that he's the real deal? Uh, or do you feel that, you know, it, it, this is just what George has been doing all season? I, I think it's a bit of both. He this is what George has been doing all season, but he has taken a step up since that contract um, was announced. Um, and I think I think you see it with any driver to a degree of when they have that contract, there's a bit of pressure in the back of the mind that eases and it just lets the natural flan, um, talents flow, even to the the top of the grid with Lewis and Max. That it must affect the drivers. Um, a little bit um, and I, I think George is um, enjoying his last few races at Williams That's good to know I mean we just hope it continues with George Russell I mean Williams certainly enjoying this at the moment so uh, hopefully it's a nice omen for them for next season where this will be a regular thing for them um, on the subject of Alfa Romeo we still don't know who the second driver is going to be yet we already touched on this earlier saying that we probably won't know for at least another week or so um, Fred Vasseur has been very coy about who it's going to be. We expect it to be Guan Yu Zhou, but he still says... I mean, he, I think he said something on the lines the other day about Giovinazzi that um, Gio's just got to put it all together and we're still waiting to see that and hopefully it will happen soon. It's kind of given indication that there's still a chance for Giovinazzi to keep that seat for next season. I mean, do either of you think that's realistically possible or is he just saying that to buy time until everything's signed and sorted with Guan Yu Zhou? Oh, 
you don't know with Alfa Romeo, do you? I think I, I really do think they're probably the. I'd say yeah, they're probably the most boring team on the grid at the moment. So if you think of the most boring outcome of this whole thing, that's that's a decision that Alfa Romeo are going to make. It would surprise me if Giovinazzi stayed. It would surprise me. I mean, you got a choice between Giovinazzi and Guan Yu Zhou. Yay! You know that's 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 the situation. No disrespect to them. But Alfa Romeo before had like an exciting driver like Charles Leclerc that the fans could really get behind. And at the moment, you know, we've got Valtteri Bottas going there next year. Apart from that, like Juan Yu Zhou or Giovinazzi, don't really set the world alight, does it? Just throwing a Hail Mary out of nowhere and just announce Oscar Piastri, why don't you? I mean, that would be yeah. a fun one. Um, <laughs> exactly. Lee, what, what do you reckon? Are Alfa Romeo stringing this out now or should they just put Giovinazzi out of his misery? Um, what I imagine is there is a lot of discussions going on behind the scenes with um, Giovinazzi trying his damn hardest to remain on the grid, which is causing for sure a headache. <laughs> Um, and they, they are stringing it out in that sense but if it was a slam dunk deal they would have announced long ago so there is clearly something holding it up um, maybe Kimmy's re- regretting retirement and it's going to be all finished team next year yeah I mean that's a that's a different <laughs> that, that's right. yeah <laughs> I doubt that's going to happen but you know it's yeah it's, as Courtney said it is boring choices between the two there is there's nothing exciting out of either proposition for me personally. Um, no, you're right. I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to add something to this and I just feel like, do I really care? Like, you know, you just want them to uh, look, I, I, I do like Giovinazzi and I think he has shown at times there have been some moments, particularly in qualifying that he has got some speed in him. Um, but you know, when, when Fred Vasseur goes and says, we're still waiting for him to put it all together and it's going to be a great performance. It's like, He's been with the team. How long has he been with them? About three or four years, something like that. Maybe not that long, but he's been in Formula One for a while now with the Sauber team, if you like. Part of that unit for, oh, just trying to think, what was it, 2017? He made his uh, 2016, something like that. And if you're not going to see it now, after all that time, when are you going to see it? It's it's just not going to happen. So they're going to have to make an announcement soon. If they keep him on for another year, great, but. I feel like even if it is Guan Yu Zhou, with all due respect to him, um, I think they've just got to bring in someone new, someone fresh, and see how that goes. Money aside, you know, so let's wait and see. But um, I, I don't suspect it's going to be long before we find out the full 2022 grid in all its shape and glory. Um, it's prediction time at the end of the episode, guys. For those of you that are unfamiliar with the podcast, we like to give our predictions for the top three and also a bold prediction as well. So, Courtney, I'm going to come to you first, as it's, as you are the birthday boy. Um, top three, and uh, what is your bold prediction as well? And of course, give me a qualifying prediction. Who's going to get on pole this weekend as well? Do you know, I'm going to be bold and say Lewis Pole on the win. Permitted doesn't have uh, an engine penalty. Max second, Valtteri third. Uh, I'm going to go with... Uh, Fernando Alonso top five finish as my bold prediction. I was thinking that. Now I'm going to have to change it because I was thinking <laughs> that as well, but I'll let you have that one. Okay, no, fair enough. I mean, that's pretty solid. I'm going to say, yeah, certainly not going to argue too much against that. Um, Lee, how about you? Uh, what is your top three pole position and a bold prediction as well, please? Um, 
poll, I think, will be Max. Um, uh, I think it will be uh, Lando, Max, um, and Lewis in a um, race result. And the bold prediction is Lewis will have his engine finish on the podium, engine penalty, and then finish on the podium. I like that one. Yeah, yeah I certainly can see it happening. Um, it's similar to the one I said about Max getting on the podium in the same circumstances at Russia, um, which he did do, not P3, but, you know, it was not too far off. Um, I'm assuming a dry race. I know a lot of people have been talking about weather. Uh, so much now, we always seem to talk about wet weather as if we're all scared of it after what's happened at Belgium. It's uh, crazy how that is. We, was, we were looking forward to wet weather at the start of the season. It never quite happened. Then we got it. It was like, oh, crap, like... He starts being scared of it. I mean, it is Halloween month, so why not? Um, my top three, well, pole position, Max Verstappen. I think top three is going to be, I'm assuming Lewis is going to take the grid, the engine penalty. Um, I don't think he's going to be able to get to the podium, as fun as that would be to watch. Um, if it stays dry, if it goes wet, it's, all bets are off. But top three, I'm going to go with Verstappen, Bottas. And I think Charles Leclerc is going to have a bit of resurgence this weekend. That upgraded Ferrari engine. I think hopefully Ferrari fancy their chances a bit more around this circuit. So yeah, I'm going to be bold. Well, not that bold and say Charles P3. Um, bold prediction, Russell's going to score points again for the, I think, fourth race in a row, is it? Or something like that? Well, it'll be five. Is that right? Something like that. Yeah, I think Russell points again this weekend. Um, so yeah, that, that's all we've got for now, guys. Of course, weigh in with your predictions in the comment section to, below. Let us know who you think is going to win the Turkish Grand Prix. And of course, feel free to weigh in on some of the other topics that we've discussed in this episode in light of the Qatar race happening later on. Of course, F1 calendar changes that we've talked about. Let us know your thoughts on those as well. Incidentally, of course, a little bit of a cheeky plug and promo as well. Last week, we released our... First top 10 video, we're going to start doing some top 10 videos and some list videos for you guys. The first of which, of course, was celebrating Lewis Hamilton's 100 Grand Prix by giving you our top 10 Lewis Hamilton wins in Formula One. Of course, so far, we've been having a bit of a few issues with the YouTube channel where for some reason the videos aren't being advertised to our subscribers. Absolutely criminal. Yeah, it's not ideal. Um, I'm not quite sure what's going on there. But of course, guys, so at the moment... If you're not seeing it and you're regularly checking out our content, do let us know. But look, it's out there. You know, it's a really good video. I should know. I made it, so I'm a little bit biased. And, uh, you know, check it out. It would really mean a lot to us if you could. And, of course, if you know anyone that would be interested, make sure to share it. And uh, leave a like and subscribe to the channel if you enjoy the video. So really would appreciate your help on that one. But, of course, guys, until next time, we're going to be discussing the Turkish Grand Prix review. But of course, I'm sure we'll have plenty more exciting F1 stories to talk about following the review of that race. But until next time, we've been DNF1, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network.